the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and all the long form, short form news you need on every sport that matters. The Olympics, the MLB trade deadline, the NFL offseason, now with Aaron Rodgers back in the fold, the NBA draft and free agency, the NHL free agency season. It is a crazy sports business time. The Athletic is all over it. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. And of course, our friends at Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, providing financial solutions for athletes and professionals in the entertainment industry for years and years and years. This is a system that works. This is a system that gets you on the right track. Have a plan, have a process, let somebody else handle this thing for you and kind of give you the allowance you need as a professional, especially when you're getting started. If you're a rookie, getting in the game, if you're a prospective rookie, and you know a draft prospect, things like that. MorganStanley.com slash GSE. Get you started on your financial solution today. My name is Mike Janetti. Happy Wednesday morning. It's a big basketball show. It's the NBA Draft Eve, as I mentioned there in the open. We're going to have Keith Smith and Scott, and Scott Allen on the show as a little roundtable. Plenty of questions on the draft, on free agency, on the salary cap, on the luxury tax, on all that good stuff. Nice big piece at the end of this with Keith and his NBA brain. But first, there's a lot of NFL ways I can go here. Okay. And I'm not going to go all of them. I will split this up. Uh, I'll use Twitter. I'll use some some writing maybe to convey the Aaron Rodgers stuff once that's finalized. Sounds like it's close, by the way. Sounds like the the rework deal, the concessions, they're coming. I'll get to what I promise. Just not today. I'm not going to touch the Deshaun Watson stuff yet, though it would not surprise me one iota if he's traded in the next week. Not one bit. It's never too early on a quarterback, even with all the baggage, even with all the unknown, even with the suspension coming. We don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, he's a full go. Love it or hate it. He's full participation at Houston Texans camp, which means trade rumors, his trade demand, they're all back on the table. The asking price is ridiculous. It's not what they're going to get, but you start high and you compromise down. That's just how that stuff works. Miami's in. Denver's in. Carolina's probably in. The Washington football team could be in. The Giants could be in. There's a lot of areas to go here, but I'm not going to touch it yet. <laughs> okay. I got to get back to Xavier Howard because now he's formally made his trade request. And the reason I'm picking on him specifically here is he brings up a conversation that I am, I have had with you a dozen times on this show over the past three years, which is if you're going to hate your contract in three years, don't sign a six-year contract. Stop doing it, NFL. Stop doing it. Okay? The teams have so much power over the players as it is without doing anything. Ask Aaron Rodgers about that. Okay? Because what we're about to find out with Aaron Rodgers is after eight months of pouting, and maybe rightfully so. I don't know how bad things got there from a personal standpoint. I'm not going to speak to that side of it. But after eight months, the only thing Aaron Rodgers is going to get is one year lopped off his contract, a no trade clause, a no franchise tag clause, and a trade in of his good buddy Randall Cobb to help in terms of wide receivers. It sounds like that's all we're getting here. After Aaron Rodgers... The reigning MVP had specific demands. So you can't tell me that players have any say in this matter right now. The only time 
that players can really sit down and say, hey, it's got to be this way, is contractually speaking. If Aaron Rodgers wanted a one-year contract with Green Bay, they would have to do it because they're not going to let him walk for free. Play out your contract, get yourself to a situation where your team absolutely has to move Dak Prescott, right? Dak Prescott got exactly what he wanted, a four-year, basically fully guaranteed contract. Now, it took two franchise tags, an unfortunate injury, and a lot of leverage to get there, but he got there. Aaron Rodgers signed a huge extension, okay? He had the control over that back then. He, he worked himself into a situation where he could get 2023 voided, but look what it took. Xavier Howard has three years left in this contract. I've already had a show specifically breaking down his contract and what it looks like and why I don't think he's going to get out of it and why I don't think Miami's even going to restructure it. Okay. This is year three of a five-year extension, six-year total contract, which means the first year was basically just a signing bonus and a thank you cap hit. Okay. Let's reduce the cap hit. That's how just, that's basically how this stuff works. The first two years of these extensions are going to be extremely cap friendly. All right. This year had, you know, almost $12.5 million in change in terms of cash, which sounds fine, except for guys like Jalen Ramsey, except for guys like Tredavious White, Marlon Humphrey. They've all re-upped. And every time that happens, guys who are sitting inside their current contract look around like, what the hell just happened? And I get it, but I also can't, I can't complain for these players. I can't be, I can't side with these players because you got yourself into a six-year contract, okay? Knowing what we know. Now, I, I do my due diligence on these contracts on Track, and I, I give you the potential out. I'll draw the line of demarcation on these contracts to show you, hey, you know, at some point here, the team may, may want to get out. Well, for this contract, it's after 2021. But from a player standpoint, that means something very different. Okay, That potential outline is team-oriented. It means the team can get out of this when they want to. But it also means from the player side, my guaranteed money is probably gone at this point because there's really nothing more I can do with myself. Okay. He's got an injury guarantee in 2022, but this $12 million salary this year is basically the last guaranteed money on this contract, which means there's three years of fluff. You've heard me say it a million times. I'm going to continue to say it. There's a ton of fluff in this contract. Here's the proof in the pudding. I broke down the top 10 cornerback contracts in terms of total value that currently live in the NFL. Okay. What I've done is I've given you the live AAV, okay? So if it was a $20 million contract to start for J- for Jalen Ramsey, what is the average salary of the remaining contract right now as we speak? That's the live AAV, okay? The, the cornerback with the highest live AAV right now is Darius Slay. Guess what he signed? A three-year contract, okay? <laughs> it's Darius Slay, Marlon Humphrey, Jalen Ramsey. down to 14.5, respectively, for those contracts. Okay, so the highest live average salary for a cornerback is $15.5 million. So it's not 20. Okay, that was gone the second the signing bonus was paid out. Where is Xavier Howard on this list? He's seventh, 12.3 million left in his contract over four years, which means this was a heavily front loaded contract, which means you, you, you signed a six year deal. That was cash front-loaded. Of course, we're going to be in this spot now. Of course, we're going to be sitting here saying, where's my pie? Your pie was built into the first two years of your contract and the, the one you signed. And, and it's great because you got your money, but you gave yourself no way to get out. You gave yourself no control. Okay, Miami owns all the leverage here, all of it. And if, if 
they decide that they'll trade you and that's a that's a good enough deal for you, they're still going to win. Because guess what? They may trade you for Deshaun freaking Watson. <laughs> okay? I mean, that might be what happens here. So I, I, I hate to see guys not get what they're worth. I live in a value system. I market value these players on an annual on a, on a daily basis here. Okay? I love to see guys get what they're worth or north of what they're worth. I thought Jalen Ramsey's contract was great. I thought Tredavious took a little bit of a, uh, you know, of a market value deal. I thought Darius Slay's contract was incredible for age, team change, and then the, the total contract's length, three years, like I said. It's high-impact money for Dar- Darius Slay. It's just not the case for Xavier Howard. He took a standard rookie extension that had a ton of fluff built into it, and we're in that fluff year now. And even though this is a fully guaranteed contract, he's seventh in live AEV right now. So what about the cash versus guaranteed remaining? I kind of alluded to it with Howard. Well, he's also seventh on that list. Okay. And he's actually lower if I use percentages. So here's how I did this. How much money in total, how much cash is left on the current deal? Then how much guaranteed cash is left on the current deal? And what is the percentage of that guaranteed cash versus total cash? Okay. The biggest number is Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey has almost 50 million guaranteed left on this contract, over 56% of his total compensation, which means there's not a lot of fluff. Okay. There are four contracts, excuse me, there are five contracts out of the top 10 quarterbacks that still have 50% of their cash remaining guaranteed. Xavier Howard ain't one of them. Okay. He is the second lowest on this list. And the only reason he's second is because Stefan Gilmore is in an, is an expiring contract year and $0 of his 8 million cash is guaranteed. So he's a 0% right now. Howard's next at 24%. Only 24%, 12 million of the 49 million left has guarantees on it. That's the contract he signed. So he's pissed off at himself here is what he's pissed off at. He's pissed off at the contract he's in right now when he looks out and sees Darius Slay's strong deal. Jalen Ramsey, his own teammate, Byron Jones, has 50% guaranteed left, 28 out of 56. Okay, There's just a lot of better structured deals. And I, I feel terrible for him. He's a hell of a player. I think this ends in a trade, and it could be a huge trade. But it's going to be a trade that works for the Dolphins. I'll say it again. They own all the leverage here. This guy's got four years left in his contract. 2021 and three more years with just an injury guarantee built into next year. That's it. It's all in the Dolphins' hands here. Maybe they make a move this offseason. Maybe they make him wait till next March. But it, at some point, there's going to be a break, right? Because I understand why Howard's pissed off here, but I can't, I can't respect it. There's just too much fluff in this contract to give yourself any kind of control to get out of it right now. Let's talk some basketball with Keith and Scott. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Balanced Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balanced Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and objectives. Borrow smartly, cost-effectively, avoid those fees, and no prepayment penalties if you decide to pay it back early which many do. Whether your client is under contract and needs a bridge against future guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, 
or, or any other reason to borrow money at this point in your, in your professional career, let Balance Bridge get a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client. Visit balancebridge.com today. Balancebridge.com. All right. Welcome back to the show, Keith Smith and Scott Allen. It's our MBA draft slash free agency preview kind of version 2.0 now that we're on the draft eve here. Keith, welcome back to the show. What's your sense? Is this like Christmas Eve for you, man? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, especially with how condensed things are. It's like uh, Christmas Eve and uh, well, what is it that they have? Boxing Day? Is that the one that follows it <laughs> yeah. in, in other parts of the world? That's it, a soccer it feels day, like it's all <laughs> Right? Yeah, it feels like it's all running into to one thing, so I'm pretty excited. All right, let's get rolling here. There's plenty to talk about here. The uh, Look, we can mock draft. That's probably for other shows. I'm sure you've done some of that. Uh, with the other work you do, Keith, but, uh, you know, wh- where's the line of demarcation with this thing tomorrow? I mean, where is it going to get trade heavy? Where is it going to get, you know, questionable in terms of, you know, not sure things with, with picks? Where's the line tomorrow night? Yeah. As you talk to every team, it's, it's, it's right after their pick, surprisingly, right? That's where the draft <laughs> falls off. Um, <laughs> but it's in, in reality, it feels like there is a pretty well-defined, uh, tier group at the top. Um, and that truly is dependent on, on team teams that I've talked to and scouts I've talked to, but you've got Cade Cunningham, Jalen green, Evan Mobley. And then for most Jalen Suggs, and then that's kind of your group of four that, that are at the top. Cunningham and green are kind of tier one, one a, then Mobley's tier two, then Suggs is like tier three. And then there's a little bit of a drop off to the next guys down. That's like Scotty Barnes, Jonathan Kaminga. And then from there, it kind of takes a pretty big drop. It becomes uh, pretty flat for a lot of teams from about seven or eight through 17 to 20. Uh, At that point, it's kind of, it's a little bit need, personal preference, things like that. So what does that allude to in your head? Is that does that mean more trades or less trades? Will will teams be trying to get out but be unsuccessful in doing it? Will they have to package current active players to do so? Um, what kind of a, a situation are we getting into with this kind of a draft? Yeah, what's really interesting with this draft, especially, is a couple of the teams that are picking near the top, Cleveland and Toronto, are making noise that they want to be competitive next year, and they they really want to move move things uh, forward. That they, they are um, really trying to, uh, you know see if they can win and in Toronto that makes sense for a last year was a just a disaster season they didn't they were the only team that never went home after they left for the bubble and then they stayed in Tampa and all that mess and then Cleveland I think there's just a sense of it's time to to get winning so you have those teams maybe willing to move out of their picks so you've got a lot of teams talking there uh, there's teams that are trying to move up to to number one if they can get Detroit we're here in OKC is uh, kind of starting to do what I think we all expected which is hey we've got a million extra draft picks you want five six extra picks in addition to six and maybe six and eight 16 and 18 in this draft you know all right we can do it because they can without even really feeling it uh so that's going to be interesting then another factor is you have a team like orlando that has five and eight so they're looking at moving up or looking at moving one of those two picks uh so i think i think that's a very long way to answer your very simple question of, I think we're going to see a lot of movement 
up and down. And I think his team see, we know someone's going to slide some and his team see a guy slide that they really like. They're going to do what they can to move up and get that guy because everybody's kind of positioning themselves to say, Hey, this is the, the, the time. If you think somebody can come in right away and be a long-term piece for you, go get him now. With the NCAA in flux right now, it is the Jalen Green pick a does it have to work out uh, moving forward to for that to be a legitimate option for players for going to the G League at night or OTE that we've talked about in the past? Um, is it a need and a must that this works out for those players that are going that route? I, I think it's close. I, I don't think if this first go around in a weird environment where they didn't, it wasn't the setup they exactly hoped for uh, due to the pandemic. And then the G league season, excuse me, being wiped out and being played in a bubble. They were, no, no one's going to overreact and say, well, that didn't work. But I do think that there is some pressure because if, if what happens is if Jalen green, Jonathan Kaminga, a couple of the other guys uh, who were there, uh, Dacian Nix and um, Isaiah Todd, if if they come in and they look completely overwhelmed and not ready at all and, and it's you know a huge struggle, then I think what you're gonna have is you're gonna absolutely have those detractors that say, no, you know, this doesn't work. You know, these guys should be in college, they need to be in that environment. So it's gonna be people who think it doesn't work are probably gonna say that no matter what. And people who think it does are gonna, you know, uh, dig their heels in on that side of things. But I think in reality it's Let's not overreact to it just because this first year of it was always going to be an adjustment period. And this first year did not go at all the way they planned. And you mentioned college basketball there with the NIL uh, information and and signings that have come out. Is there going to be a more is there going to be more confidence of players going to the college ranks because of the NIL plus getting that atmosphere from college that we've seen in the past? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see now because the the thing that G League Ignite and uh, Overtime Elite had for them was we can pay you. Now you're you can get paid and be in college, and it and it and it is uh, you know a different uh, feel for that. So that that to some extent uh, offsets that. So I think now what you're going to see is the kids who are truly I'm going to be a pro basketball player. I know it. I'm going to be a top let's call it 10 pick in the draft. So what's the the use for me to go to Duke beat up on East West directional state, play some big games and then leave after a year. Why not just go right into the pros, start training with, with these guys who have been in the NBA guys who are trying to get back to the NBA, do that. And then now I'm ready to go. So I think that's what you're going to see is it's going to be the kind of top of the top guys who know for certain they're going to go. But then I think what you could see happen is the guys who are, maybe a little less certain, maybe the Knicks and Todd's of the world that went this year, those guys may say, all right, you know, hey, I can make a little bit of money and I can go to college and go that way. And then I think the other guys you'll have is the guys who are, you know, they're going to struggle to qualify and be eligible and those kind of things to get into a school. It's great now that they have this other path that doesn't necessarily mean they have to leave the United States. Two more draft questions, then we'll switch over to free agency, Keith. I want to kind of keep this moving. How are contenders considering this draft? We know there's a four to five, you know, player kind of demarcation line, as you've noted here. 
And then it gets interesting, I think, in the early teens, maybe 10 through 15, as you noted as well, where some of these, some of the movement could really, really happen. But what about the back end of this thing? Is it just a crapshoot? Are, are they looking for death pieces for the future? Or are there opportunities here for, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, those kind of teams to get to get a piece that works right now? Yeah, it's it's interesting. What what's kind of in some ways working against those teams a little bit, and we'll probably get into this some in the free agency topic as well, is there's a very small amount of teams that you can look at and say, yes, they're rebuilding. They're they're not trying to win right now. Uh, making the playoffs is not a priority. And that's kind of working against those teams like the Lakers, Clippers, Nets, Bucks, uh, 76ers, where a lot of times what you'll see is they'll say, hey, we'll trade you pick X in the 20s and give a, you know, for veteran player Y. And we'll we'll make that work and go. And the rebuilding team says, great, we get an extra pick and and move on. And in a couple of those teams that are rebuilding, like Orlando, they're already flushed with young talent. Uh, Oklahoma City, they they're kind of hit have hit the tipping point here on how many draft picks you can have. It's yeah, I've been jokingly saying it's kind of like uh, Pokemon and the tag phrase. You got to collect them all. That's what it feels like they're doing. So when you look at at that with, with these guys, that makes it a little harder for those teams to use their draft picks as capital. So I do think it's more likely you're going to see those teams draft. And what they'll probably do, if you're the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nets, you can go one of two routes. Either you take kind of the best player available uh, regardless, and even if he's going to be a development guy, because you know he can sit behind your stars, learn and develop, and then you plug him in. Or they may look at it and say, hey, I want a little bit of an older player, somebody who can plug right into our rotation because we're trying to win right now. Then that that's going to be where the philosophy will be kind of seen here in the next couple of days because I think those teams all approach it slightly differently when, when they think about the draft. What about positionally speaking? I mean, we're talking about how there's four or five guys, maybe there's 10 total that are on radars, on big boards. Is, does it lean one direction? Guards, point guards, forwards, big men? You know, where are we looking in terms of who these top players are going to be coming into the league? Yeah, it feels like at the top, it's um, primary uh, ball handlers that can score is is kind of what we're looking at. Like, like when you look at Cunningham, Green, uh, Suggs, those are going to be guys who are going to have the ball a lot. They're all, you know, scorers. They're, they're, they're guys who are going to put, put the ball in the hoop. Uh, once you get past them, just a little bit, you, you've got uh, James Booknight, dude, who's moving up draft board. Uh, Franz Wagner, who's, you know, a pretty, pretty good shooter. Moses Moody, uh, Josh Giddy. So it's 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 very heavy in let's say the top half of the first round on ball handling playmakers. Then probably later as we get into the draft, it feels like uh guys who are um wing or pure wing players. Uh they're somewhere between you know the two and maybe a small ball four. It feels very deep in players like that. A lot of them feel uh, oddly somewhat similar to each other um where where they did it, it kind of really comes down then to personal preference but i think uh where the draft is very light is in impact big men uh 
uh, we're, we're not going to see you know, a whole lot of impact big men. And that may lead to, as it often does, because teams still can't, you know, we're how many years into going small is good. Teams still want size and they, they can't get away from seven footers when they're available. So we may see a handful of seven footers get drafted. And then as we, we get later in the first round and then into the second round, the point guard depth is, is really kind of unbelievable. There are a ton of point guards out there that uh, teams are going to get and they're, they're probably going to be the guys who make up uh, backup point guards around the league, uh, you know, or third point guards, or as more and more teams transition to dual ball handler lineups, uh, those guys are going to have value because teams see that need to put multiple playmakers on the floor at once. Free agency is a few days away. Um, which team is going to overpay for a player? <laughs> Dinwiddie, <laughs> Conley, Oladipo, Chris Paul, if he opts out, Leonard, if he opts out. Which, which team is going to try to go all in and just, and, you know, we always see it. There's an overpayment. Yeah, is it which the Knicks, team? Keith? Are the, is it the Knicks offseason or are they a year away still? Yeah, so it's funny. My my snarky answer to that was going to be all of them because yeah. you know it's <laughs> that's it, actually it's why I cut do, in because right? I figured you'd have a ninety seven minute answer on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, you know I think um, the so let, let me answer your Knicks part first. I don't think so. Yeah. I think the Knicks are really playing this patient. I, I think they're gonna if they can get somebody on a big money, but short term deal, let's say Kyle Lowry, for example, yeah. for uh, you know, one year, 30 million. I, I think the Knicks would do it because why not? Right. That doesn't hurt you. I, I, I will always say if you keep a deal to one or maybe even in most cases, two years, it can't really hurt you. But I think the Knicks are looking at it and saying, Hey, we want to be in the mix uh, for trades. So they're, they're going to clearly be you know, monitoring the trade market. There's been a lot of buzz that if Damian Lillard, you know, kind of stops the waffling and says, I want out that the Knicks are going to be the team that's going to make that push for him. And that makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, But then I think too, I think the Knicks are kind of taking an approach of they're looking at 2022, 2023 when the classes should be pretty loaded. I think they are um, really going to be in a position where we want to be players then. So I think what you're more likely to see with them is we're going to, uh, how do I put this? Well, we're going to um, keep things short again. Mm-hmm. We're 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 gonna do these uh, short-term deals. They may be minor overpays for three or four different guys, but one-year deal, one year with a team option, a year with a non-guarantee, whatever it is that gives them flexibility to to get out of it. As far as a team that I do think is going to overpay for a free agent, uh, almost because I think they kind of have to, they've positioned themselves that way, is the uh, Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. I, I think everything is set up for the Heat to really try and go and get uh, a guy who is um, going to come in right away, get them back into the finals contention after they kind of had a disappointing season this past year. And then I think the New Orleans Pelicans. I I respect what they did with their trade with Memphis to give themselves flexibility and options that they did not have a few days ago before that trade. On the flip side, I don't know that I truly believe that they're going to do great things with that flexibility because they haven't the last couple times around. So I'm a little cautious there of saying, you know, hey, great job, Pelicans, you know, go go out and spend now because I'm just not sure they necessarily will spend it in the right place. Like you said, one year, 30 million for Kyle Lowry. 
not the end of the world. Anybody can work on that. You'll probably be fine. If you do this, you know, what he's rumored to want of three years, 90 million to 100 million, that starts to get really questionable because it's probably going to be pretty bad in the end. Yeah, if I could counter just a little bit on that point, um, I agree with Miami. They're going to be kind of lurking in a lot of these situations, both trade and free agency. Uh, you mentioned Toronto. I, I'm I'm torn on Toronto, Keith. So you think they're going to push? I'm hearing rumors they may trade Siakam. So so are you just hearing otherwise, or or are you kind of assuming that maybe they're going to at the end of the day just kind of hold hold their cards and try to add a couple of pieces and get back into contention? It's I always say with the Raptors, it's Masai Ujiri. So anything is on the table. Um, no GM will step up and make a home run swing one way or the other more than he will. If he looks at it and says, I can move Siakam for picks and young players and really start to rebuild this thing, then he'll do it. If it is, I can move the fourth pick and one of my salaries or something like that to go get star X that wasn't expected to be there, he'll do that. I mean, this is the guy who made the Kawhi Leonard trade with Everybody in the world saying there's no way he stays more than one year. I, I just think Masai Ujiri is wildly unpredictable uh, with these things. So I, 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 I'm feeling like we're starting to hear less of the they'll trade Siakam, they'll trade Van Vliet, they'll trade you know Ananobi or those things, and starting to hear a little bit more of the they're going to try to do what they can to 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 win. I think uh, something that pseudo signals that is they pushed Rodney Hood's guarantee date back yeah. for his 10 million contract for next season. And my sense is that's because they're trying to use that contract in a trade where what they would do is guarantee all of it or some of it to bring in a player uh, that they couldn't go get otherwise uh, through a trade. So I'm not entirely sure that we're going to see this team take that uh, step towards rebuilding uh, that they should because I I know from talking to people in that organization there is very much a belief that last year was an aberration and it just kind of you know the wheels fell off on them and it was all right once if they fell off we're out let's you know just kind of bottom this thing out and then we'll figure it out a year from now when everything's back to normal and that's where they seem to be uh, still operating today I, I feel the same way about the heat by the way I think they were just burned out. It, it, it wasn't their year to push hard, and maybe this is the offseason to get back on track. So I, I look at both those teams similarly, which which you know allows me to agree with you here. There's one more team I want to talk about before we kind of switch gears again. We, we, we talk about them a lot because they're polarizing, but how does, how does the Dallas Mavericks figure out this Lucas situation? Because now there's so much added into this. Now that they've switched the front office, they've switched the coach, and... There's been a lot of rumor and speculation that this was kind of Luca dominated. This was driven through his his demands, his needs, and his long term future in that organization. Can they fix it this offseason? Does the NBA know how to build around a player like Luca Doncic? And maybe did the Atlanta Hawks show us the formula? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, the the comp I think of with Luca is James Harden because they play so similarly where they're ball dominant guys who can get to any shot that they want, but they're also very willing passers. They're, they're guys who can run the offense uh, fully as, as a playmaker versus having to be a scorer. And I think, you know, and then Trey young again, and like you mentioned, another very similar guy to that. And I think what you're kind of seeing with Dallas is they tried to accelerate things. I think a little bit too early. They, they, they made the Porzingis trade. They made a couple signings. They they uh, did the deal where they brought in Josh Richardson this past year. And I think now what you're seeing is 
maybe it would have been a little bit better to build a little more patiently around Luca and, and get things set. The Porzingis trade clearly has not worked out the way they had hoped for. Now what's interesting, though, is we're hearing so many mixed things, which is not uncommon this this time of year because there's a lot of a uh, lot of lying going on. A lot of people aren't, you know, they're they're purposely trying to pull you down a path they're not interested in. But the other thing is that tells me sometimes with a brand new front office that they're really going to have to figure things out on the fly, and then it's not that this is no longer the team that's been sitting there looking at things for the past year two years three years and saying here's a long-term plan here's how we're going to build this up some of these guys are, are new now yeah i'm sure they had thoughts and they had you know ideas on how they want to do this or they probably wouldn't be there but i think what you're looking at now is we're hearing things like tim hardaway jr is a priority for them to resign but they want to add kyle lowry but they want to do this they want to do that and it starts to those are a lot of directions you can't do all those things now yeah you could add you could go the cap space route add lowry give hardaway whatever's left over on a one-year deal and then kind of do that, you know, wink, wink, we'll take care of you in a year from now when you're a, um, uh, you know, free agent again and we've still got your bird rights. Well, you know, so really just kind of add all your your years and money together and look at it as one deal. Um, and I think there is a possibility that's the way it goes because Hardaway is that important for them. But they, they know they have to continually keep moving things forward with Luca because – He's going to sign that that Supermax extension. We all know that. He has said that himself. But the reality is that's great for one year. Then he's going to come back and say, yeah. all right, hey, this isn't working. You know, I want to go, you know, elsewhere, X, Y, and Z. I want to go play with whoever and, you know, I, I want to do this. So that that's where I don't – I think you just – you have to do the best you can to try and keep those guys happy. And it's funny because it's Luca right now. And then it's going to be Zion a year from now. Yep. It's, you know, we're just going to be kind of, you know, continue to kick, kick this, uh, you know, can down the road. And probably eventually if he pans out, it'll probably be Cade Cunningham too, you know, unless the team really, you know, hits the ground running. And that's why the Hawks push forward this year was so huge for them because it allows them to define a lot of things to say, all right, we can, you know, invest in John Collins. We can, uh, you know, feel confident that, that we're, we're, we can spend to put a winner around Trey Young because we know he's ready to lead us there. Yeah, and, you know, not to get too deep down the Hawks path because we've done it before, but it was kind of an all-in process. It was every avenue yeah. is available to us. We're going to use an offer sheet. We're going to use free agency. We're going to use a trade or two. We're going to, we're going to work the deadline. It, it was just nonstop. It was relentless. We have to get... X, Y, and Z pieces around Trey Young, because if this kid's out there on his own, it's going to look a lot like it did for Luca, which is, you know, there's going to be nights where he's got to take nights off. It's There's going to be a, an end game, which we saw in the playoffs. That's And that was James Harden's thing as well. Dead tired by, by round two of the postseason on an annual basis. Yep. So I, I just, the only path forward I see with Dallas, Keith, and, and it's swinging big is... You got to get superstars around him. It, it can't be this nickel and dime stuff. You know, Dallas yeah. has to be in on Dame Lillard if that's a real conversation. They've got to be in on Bradley Beal if that's a real conversation. To me, that's the only real way that you don't have a, a, a ticked off Luka Doncic in two years when that extension has kicked in. I, I think we're headed toward that track, as you as you noted there. Yeah, and that's why you can't, in my opinion, it's not a great idea to invest long-term money right. in one of these older guards. So Lowry, Conley, you know, somebody like that, because I just don't think that's going to 
going to end well for you. I think there's the potential that that goes sideways. Again, short term, great. Yo, do it. Keep keep things good and and go. But yeah, it's it is it's one of those things. And I would even extend it to the Hawks, which now Dallas has kind of made a jump on. When the Hawks had the sense of, hey, it's not really working with Lloyd Pierce the way we want to. That was another move of, all right, we're going to change it. We're right. moving right to Nate McMillan, right. and we're 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 moving on. Yeah, and that that team really is. Um, that was a kind of out of desperation for that front office, and as about as best as could be expected. Every single one of those moves hit. There isn't a one where you're looking at it and saying, boy, that didn't really work out. Almost every single one of them you know, hit. Maybe Onyeka Kongwu in the draft, but I'm not going to give up on a kid after the first year, uh, even if you know now he's injured and he's going to miss the summer. But you know, let, let's see where that goes. But all their free agent additions and trades and everything else, those all worked out really, really well. Well, Chris Dunn, that, that was a miss, but – you know, you, you can't, I guess no, nobody go. no, nobody bats a thousand. <laughs> How are teams going to treat the restrictive free agent market? I mean, we only have like eight teams with practical cap space and, you know, I've, I've heard Lonzo Ball may just be renounced and let him walk. You had John Collins who was offered an extension, but that didn't work out. So now he could be a restricted free agent. How are teams going to handle these restricted free agents this year? Keith, lie to us. I, I want offer sheets, man. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. My restricted free agent offer sheets are one of my uh, favorite things that happens when remember a few years ago when the Nets were rebuilding, and Shaw Marks was like, here's an offer sheet. Here's an offer sheet. And all he was part of it was I'm still convinced he didn't even want those guys. He yeah. was just trying to mess up the cap sheet for opponents. Right. Wasn't one, but Tyler Johnson, I, if yeah. I remember correctly. But yeah, that's Tyler exactly Johnson, the reason Alan nobody Kraft. does it, right? Because there's like a, a quid pro quo with, and some collusion with exactly. these GMs, right? Like you don't want to tick yep. off other GMs, so you can't go there. Well, because route. now somebody could do that to Sean Marks with Bruce Brown, yeah. right? And say, hey, Bruce Brown's a restricted free agent. I know you don't want to pay him $10 million and push that luxury tax, but guess what? You want to keep him, you're going to have to. Oh, now I'm rooting so, yeah, for so that. We, That's a great idea. Oh, me too, 100%. <laughs> right? I mean, one of the best things we love about the NBA is how petty it can be. You know, let's, let's get up the pettiness. But yeah, I think, I. so as much as I'm rooting for it and I want it, I don't know that we're going to see a ton of them. Challenge with that is, one is, you have to have a good amount of cap space beyond just the ability to uh, do the offer sheet because otherwise it does tie you up for a few days. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be sitting there while, you know, you don't want to offer an offer sheet if you're the Charlotte Hornets of, you know, $22 million to John Collins and then have the Hawks say, great, we're going to sit on it, make you wait as other free agents come off the board and, kind of screw you over and then we're just going to match it. The other thing is you have to overpay to get a restricted free agent because anything that's a reasonable deal, their team will just match. There, There's no reason. Now, what I do think there is possibility for is rather than it be an offer sheet and everybody go through that messiness, I think about when Malcolm Brogdon was going to leave the Bucks for the Pacers, they agreed hey, let's not go through the offer sheet messiness. Let's just make this a sign and trade, something that's mutual, mutually beneficial for both of us, and let's move this on versus cabinet become acrimonious and take time and all these things. And that I do think is possible. I think with guys like Lonzo Ball, uh, that's that's certainly possible. I think uh, Duncan Robinson, mm-hmm. if if it's silly for the Heat, if it gets to numbers where if you're Miami, like, I don't know, I've been kind of saying – 
his value feels like Joe Harris plus a little bit just because of what the market is right now um, and what, what the skill set is. So if it gets, but if it gets much past 20 million average annual value, that starts to get maybe a little too rich for Miami's blood. And you got to talk that. And then as we get lower on the list, I think there's a bunch of different restricted free agents that could end up turning into signing trades where it's, for some cases, the team that wants them has no other real way to get the player because they don't have enough uh, straight cap space to offer them. Um, so why not, you know, work it out where, hey, you get a little something here, we get something. And I think that is what what is possible versus straight offer sheets. That said, yeah, I'm hoping San Antonio or New York parachutes in on at least one of these guys and really kind of makes it messy and, and fun for you know, us to play around with for at least a couple of days. Let's play armchair GM here a little bit because there really are some names here. You mentioned John Collins. I think the sense is that they either match or or, or extend him in Atlanta just to keep him for for yeah. the, the short term, even though that'd be a heck of an offer sheet. Um, I actually think Duncan Robinson is the leader in the clubhouse. I think there's going to be multiple teams eyeing his price tag because he did have a bit of a down year. He's he's got a very specific role, and that role is needed on many of these contenders right now. So to me, that smells Everybody. like an offer sheet. Uh, yeah. and, and I'd say similarly, Jared Allen, because of Cleveland's, you know, disastrous situation. Nobody knows who, who the Cleveland Cavaliers are right now. Uh, they've got a Kevin Love problem. They've got a Colin Sexton problem. Again, a specific role. And there's going to be a need for bigs with a, with a, a draft that doesn't have many. Right. So are we getting three or four offers at least out there for some of these players? Maybe a marketing as well. Yeah, and so I'll start with marketing because his his spot's really kind of interesting. Yeah. It's not even a guarantee that he's going to get the qualifying offer uh, from Chicago. There is a sense out there that the Bulls may say, hey, we're going to clear the decks almost as much as we can. So wow. we're, we're going to move on from our free agents. We're going to probably – it sounds like they're leaning towards maybe waving Tomas Sadoransky. Um, and then Thaddeus Young probably they'll either keep or trade. But it sounds like the Bulls are really saying, hey, this, this is – uh, one of our kind of best opportunities to maybe remake things a little bit on the fly around Levine and Vucevic. Mm -hmm. And part of what they're doing is they're trying to convince Zach Levine of, Hey, we're good. Like, like I know it hasn't been great since you've been here, but now we have Vooch where we're going to move this thing forward. So there's a sense of, you know, the marketing may, it sounds like he's really not in the plans for them going forward at all anymore, which makes sense. He can't play with Vucevic. It, it's you could never build a functional defense by, playing the two of them together and they're not so overwhelmingly offensively that you can say they this is great so i'm not sure with him um i'll talk about collins for a second my guess is after his run in the playoffs where he was so good and he showed he could play small ball five and he defended well and he really fit Whereas, you know, kind of this has become 100% Trey Young's team, but then they added other ball handlers and playmakers. Collins' numbers took a step back, but he slid right into that role almost effortlessly. I don't think the Hawks are going to mess around. I think they're going to get a deal done with him before. I, my guess is that's going to be one of the early ones. You know, it's going to be, what is it? It's it's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. That's going to be one of the, those ones where it's like 6.01 or maybe even before if it, you know, the way things go, we're going to get those tweets saying, you know, John Collins and the Hawks have agreed to a four or five year, you know, 100 plus million dollar deal. And I think that's the way that goes. Duncan Robinson, though, gets interesting because Miami, mm -hmm. I, my belief is you can't mess around here. 
Because if you start to play games with it or you're, you're hey, we're, we'll, we'll get to you because we're working on, you know, four or five other things. Then all of a sudden you've got the Knicks, the Spurs, the Mavericks, the, uh, you know, potentially even the Raptors. Um, those teams, I think, you know, the Pelicans, because he makes a lot of sense there mm-hmm. uh, with that group. Those teams now can look at it and say, hey, while they're messing around and you're not a priority, here's an offer sheet. And that could push Miami to a to a point where, oh, man, this is now harder than what we want it to be. I think what's ideal for the Heat would be, all right, we're going to um, – we're going – sorry, my dog's chiming into the background. She's a big Duncan <laughs> Big Robinson Duncan fan, fan yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> what what I think you were, we're going to see with the um, Heat is – what would be ideal for them is come to an agreement with him right away. And then you've got that great relationship. And I think Robinson to some extent is indebted to Miami. They pulled him out of the G league. They developed him into an NBA player, but come to an agreement right away where what you can do then is you could even rescind the qualifying offer, lower his cap hold, create about 3 million more in space and have a plan right away. So my guess is that the heat are really smart in their front office they're going to have a plan, but if they play games at all, yeah, he's a guy who's going to go. If they try to get him on the cheap or anything like that, he he's somebody who certainly can you know get offer sheets and feel pretty good that that a team's going to pay for him. What are you hearing the salary cap projection to be? Is it going to be the one twelve or are you hearing higher? What's your sense right now? I think what we're going to see the salary cap land is the minimum 3% raise. So what, what they agreed to was uh, for the next few years to essentially overlook um, the BRI formula because they know it would have been a disaster for at least the next couple of seasons. Um, but we know, right? I mean, Oklahoma City never played a game with fans. Half these teams had their buildings half or less full for – it feels like, you know, at least a quarter, if half to three quarters of the season. Mm-hmm. So I think what you were ultimately going to see them them do is it's going to be the minimum 3% raise. And I think on that, what they did was they, if we remember, um, we've probably forgotten now because it happened a while ago, but they relaxed the um, escrow. Some, they stopped taking so much money uh, from the players in escrow. So I think what we're seeing is that's the trade-off for, hey, we're not going to raise the cap you know, a ton. We're only going to do the minimum bump. and But in turn for that, we'll give these guys some of the money that 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 they earned versus holding it back. And that's, that's the trade-off there. Somebody needs to tell the NFL this stuff, Keith. I'm still frustrated with it. The, <laughs> yeah, right. the NFL today just announced in their, in their kind of early season protocols that they've doubled the allow the allowance of debt escrow for owners. So it used to be five hundred million. Now it's a billion. Dollars. In other words, go spend more money. We're we're looking good. Go spend more money. Even after they just <laughs> dropped the salary cap ten million dollars and crunched out a ton of veterans. It's so frustrating that they didn't do their due diligence on it like the NBA has. They had a, the NBA put a three four year window in. It's exactly what you should do coming out of a disaster like this. And it's so frustrating that the biggest league in America can't get this right. Yeah, and it, it, that's where I sometimes I you you clearly know far more about this than I do, but I think that's where the NFL almost feels like they they believe too much that they're too big to fail at this point. Yeah. Where it's we're just gonna you know we're we're just gonna push forward and and everything will be fine. And I I get it to the extent when you know I mean their their television contracts are crazy, but but I think with the um with the NBA. They also 
they have a really good working relationship with their players association right now where they are able to really sit down and get to these things fairly quickly. And I think what they're going to going to be able to do with that because of it moving forward is they can then say, you know, Hey, we know there's a new TV contract coming in a few years. You know, we know we're going to get paid because live sports are still, you know, rights are selling like crazy. And I think that's where it's, let's just ride this out together. And that, that's, that to me is why, you know, we're not having a lockout. We're not having a shutdown. We're we're having the season move the way it moves because these sides generally on most things, they come together fairly quickly with an agreement. It's amazing how good business works well, huh? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> when you take pride out of it. Scott, anything else for Keith? This was great. Yeah, luxury tech question real quick. Um, sure. So, you know, we're hearing... Should Steph Curry extend? Is the Nets going to extend Harden, Irving, Durant? Uh, you know, Embiid, how long yeah. can the Warriors and the Nets sustain 120 million, 70 million plus luxury tax bills if they do extend these players and they, you know, they trigger repeaters, which the Warriors are? You know, how long can they sustain paying such high tax bills that we have never seen? Actually, before? let me break that out more globally, Scott. It's, Keith, are the tax ramifications strict enough do you think it's doing its job oh um yeah for some it is for sure for for some teams i think the challenge right now in the nba is you have ownership groups that are just like the rest of the world that it's just in dollars we can't really fathom you know as, as everyday people yeah the warriors are, the warriors lose more than any of us will ever you know consider in our lifetimes yeah, just exactly just bleeding it and then you have a, you know, you have Steve Ballmer who can, you know, write a, you know, $40 million luxury tax bill and not even notice it. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, me dropping $40 on, you know, snacks at the store, like he, you know, whatever, right for him. Um, and that's where I think that's what kind of creates this imbalance, right? The Warriors have been operating in this stratosphere for a few years now that we've never seen. And part of it was because, Hey, we're winning. We're where the the franchise valuation is, you know, exploded. Um, I think for them though, what we're gonna see is they need that new arena because they didn't fully have the chance last year to really pop this this coming year. And I think there is a sense that I mean, we're seeing it every day, just in everyday life now. People are ready to start going back out and do things and sports and concerts and all these other things. So once that arena starts cranking, then I think the Warriors, in assuming it does. They can look at this and say, all right, we've got a couple more years of life that we can pull out of this with Steph and Curry with this. And I think it's really important for them that they get back into contention. And they very much realize the only way that happens is we got to keep adding money and payroll to to this team. Uh, the Nets, I think, are in a very similar position. And they, again, they have one of the richest ownership groups in the entire NBA. So I think for them, it's, hey, we're right there. And I think there is a sense of, you know, keep going now. If you're a team like Boston or Utah or one of those teams that is they're right on the border, uh, Minnesota is a great example because Minnesota, they stink. You know, you shouldn't be paying the tax for them. So I think what happens for those teams is 
it becomes a very conscious thing of we have to really be sure of this. And that's why you see Boston made very conscious moves last year to avoid the tax. That's why they salary dumped Daniel Tice because they knew, all right, this coming season, we're probably going to be a tax team. They don't necessarily want to be in the repeater tax and those kind of things down the line. So those teams are starting as they, they build it up are um, they're really trying to, I think, put it into a position where, that has to be a factor is we, we just can't go super deep into it. But then you've got those handful of teams where it doesn't even matter. They're not even going to notice and just keep going. Yeah. I think in that, in that breath, you're the financial system is working because that's really the problem that baseball is having right now. Keith is there the tax payments, the bills, the, you know, the fees, they're so minuscule. I mean, I mean the Dodgers are going to be like 25, 30 million over, and it's going to be like a $5 million tax bill. So there's that side of it. It's not that much to go over, and yet nobody's doing it. The Dodgers are the only team projected to go over this year in, ba- in Major League Baseball. So to me, that's a broken system. Whereas here, we've got a mix of you know, top contenders, maybe contenders, and definitely a not contender in Minnesota who are probably going to be over this year again in terms of the tax threshold mm-hmm. for various reasons. Either you're stuck or you're just pushing hard. So I do think it's working. There's probably some tweaks that you, know, you, you and I are probably not pervy to right now, but... I think it's a good system. There's just a lot to this system. That's all. There's just a lot of moving parts, and that's why it's good to have Keith Smith here. Scott's got a couple of quick trivia questions, then we'll get you out of here, Keith. Yeah, I want to say one quick thing about the baseball thing. Uh-oh. It, as a kid who grew up, I grew up south of Boston, but I'm a Yankee fan. I know that's weird, um, but I love the Yankees. It absolutely kills me that for my entire life, all I heard was the Yankees buy championships. They buy everybody. And now they operate operate like they're, you know, a mom and pop minor league team that's barely cutting payroll at the end of each week. It absolutely destroys me that like this team talks ever about, well, we've got to be financially responsible. So I just had to get that gripe in there when you mentioned it. It's not working. Oh, man, does it make me mad? It's not working. Yeah. Uh, no, they, they know it. it. They, I've been saying, I've been good. yelling at this microphone all year about it, Keith. They, they nickel and dime <laughs> this off season again, and they are paying for it 10 games out right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we, you know what? We could do a whole other podcast on that. It'll just be me being angry. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Let's book that one. <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. All right. So I, I ran some metrics here. I got a few trivia, maybe some just nuggets to throw out at you guys here. So let's start with the uh, top colleges. So I looked at, since 2016, what the top colleges uh, earnings-wise uh, that have been uh, in the NBA, I- I'm sure mm. you guys can guess the first two. Yeah, Kentucky Duke. Yeah, Kentucky Duke. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Kentucky was at 202 million dollars. Kentucky 159 million dollars. Uh, so again, this is since 2016 earnings. Um, Want to take a guess at? what the three, four, or five spots were. I, I think you might be surprised I was when I ran the metrics here. I have one. Go ahead, Keith. I'll let you take it. I, geez, you know, I, I instantly wanted to say, um, I wanted to say North Carolina, but I don't think it is. No, nope, um, they, they're not even in the top yeah, six. I can't even think of a player. Yeah. Yeah, it's just more I went right to the blue blood, right? Um, I'm just thinking superstars here. Is that the right approach, Scott? Um, I, like in, in a sense, I mean, is it, is it USC because of Harden? No, but there is the, the number three team is out west. All right, all right. UCLA. 
Nope, higher up uh, in the Pacific Northwest. What? Washington? Washington, yes. $82 million so far in the last five yeah, years. Folds, oh. right? Yeah. Yeah. And and then uh, you've got one. Uh, the four spot is down south, southeast. Southeast. Whoa. I don't know. Hmm. It's not Georgia, is it? Lower. Oh, sorry. So we're in talking your, my neck uh, of the woods. In your in your state. Florida? <laughs> Florida State. Oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah. would make sense. And then it, to, to the round the top five, Gonzaga is uh, at $62 million for the fifth spot. So, Wait. It, it, interesting results there. Florida State NBA players? Help me out here. Uh, Jonathan Isaac. Um what this is in the last so this is guys since 2016. Yeah, since 2016, right. right. Uh Patrick Williams last year. Right, a couple of big draft uh, picks. Devin okay. Vassell. <laughs> oh, man. Man, that's yeah, a specific they, they question. They kind of quietly become yeah. a NBA factory down there or up up there from where I am. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's So I looked at Career earnings for drafted players since 2011. So this gives us uh, 10 years worth because this is through the 2020 season. So uh, you would guess most of them are first rounders. But then in the top 15, there were two second rounders that have been paid the most in the last 10 years. Mm. Want to take a guess at what two second rounders made this top 15 list? Draymond Green. Yep. He was not... Because oh. uh, I believe he was he, he was drafted after 2011, if I remember correctly. Well, it can't be Giannis yet, no? No, Giannis was a first-round pick. He just picked in the middle of the first round. Joker was, right? Oh, yeah, that, that one. No, nah, it's too early on Joker, right? Uh, yeah, too early on Joker and Draymond Green. He he did not make the top fifteen. If we would have included this year, he probably would have jumped more. But he had those really low first three years that reduced him. Is it Millsap? So since it is no. not Millsap. He was before. That's a good he was, one. He was before two thousand eleven. Uh, one I will say one was a recent champion. Mm. How recent? <laughs> As uh, <laughs> like a couple a days ago, weeks recent? ago, a week ago. <laughs> All right. Um, well, now that's that was that was a. <laughs> I pushed Let's for go two through good the bucks here. I, Holiday yeah, wasn't right. was he? Oh, Chris Middleton. Oh, Chris Middleton. Yes, one hundred twenty point nine million dollars earned, and then there is a second rounder who is above him. Uh, he he got paid. He. Man, played for teams in the West. Um, he was definitely overpaid and had some injury issues. Injury issues. This one I do not think either of you will get, but give us I'll a couple of teams he played for. Or or is he still in the league? He is not in the league. <laughs> oh, he man, okay. played for Dallas, Dallas, Memphis, recently Atlanta. Yikes. I was going to go Jan Mahinmi, but he, never, he didn't play for 
at least one of those teams. Um, he also played for Houston. Is it Corver? Is not. I'll oh, just give. He it didn't to make you. any money. Chandler Parsons. My oh. God. I need three more <laughs> cups of coffee before that question's. <laughs> Man, yeah. I would have gone through probably seven or eight more guys, and but yeah, you're spot on with overpaid yeah. and injury right. issues. Yes, he yes he was. All right, last one here, and then I've got an interesting nugget to throw at you guys. So last trivia one is I I looked at the USA versus international drafts in the last you know few years, and it's around the. 80% is USA, 20% international. So I was like, all right, well, who are the highest paid international players? So let's see if you can get the top three highest earning international drafted players since 2011. Giannis. Giannis is one. Jokic. He is fifth. Now this is salaries through 2020, so it's not including any, you know, that wouldn't be Derek, right? That's not enough time for Derek. Nope, he would not be there. No, and he had little. He was he was drafted before two thousand eleven. Porzingis. Oh wow. Nope. No. Uh, Valanciunas. He is third. Oh, so you're missing the second one, which uh, he most recently played the United States in the Olympics. Gobert. It's not Fournier, is it? Yeah, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Oh, Gobert, yes. Yeah, so Giannis at $106.9 million, Rudy Gobert, 102.7, and then Valanchunas, 91.6. Man. Yeah, pretty good stuff. All right, last little nugget here that I found really, really interesting. Just to Actually, you guys hold on. Take on. Let me cut in, Scott. Yep. Keith, we didn't even talk about that. Is there an international presence for this draft? I feel like I've heard nothing about it. Yeah, there, it's a little bit. Um. The, the guy that's probably highest on most boards is um, Josh Giddy. Uh, he's he's one of the younger players in the draft. Uh, he's a he's a big wing. Um, he's probably there's some talk that he could be a point guard, but I think he's probably going to be a, a like a, a primary playmaking wing. Mm. Um, he's about six foot nine. Uh, shot is a little questionable, but he's pretty big. And then the other guy that is. Um, got a lot of fans and he's going to be drafted and people are going to be like, who is this guy? His name's Alperin Sengen. Um, he's a, he's a power forward center uh, out of uh, Turkey. And he, he looks like he's going to be really, really good. He was absolutely dominant uh, as a teenager over in Europe. So if you think of like the way Luca was, um, that's the kind of player he, he was there. So he, he right now, I believe ESPN has a mocked, uh, Oddly enough, to the Spurs, <laughs> of course, yeah. um, you know, but I, he may not go that late. He, there's a chance that this guy ends up in the uh, somewhere in the six to ten range wow. uh, versus the late lottery. He he's he's one of those players who's really moving up and a lot of people really like him. Uh, you get some uh, some uh, Jokic comps with, with with this kid with his offensive ability. All right. Scott, go ahead. Yeah, that, that actually leads into the uh, this little nugget that I found uh, pretty well. So what I did is I looked at the career earnings per pick number since 2011. And you would assume pick number one should be the most earnings, followed by pick two, pick three, pick four, and et cetera. Okay. So running through the list here, pick number one was the most earning spot since 2011. But number th the third pick is number two. 
Then it goes the fourth pick, then the second pick. So those got reordered. But then this is where it gets really interesting. The fifth spot is pick number seven. The sixth spot is pick number 15. So the 15th pick has had the sixth most earnings since 2011. Then it goes pick nine, then pick 11, then pick six, picks 12. Hmm. And then pick number five is all the way down to the 14th spot. So the the guys that are being drafted in the fifth spot are not earning like they should. But I found pick 15 was very, very interesting. So I had to go and double check. I knew Giannis was there, but I had to take a look and see what other players made this jump so much. And Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, Mo Harkness, Kelly Oubre. So you got some nice names in there. And then you had Cole Anthony that has been in that pick, Troy Brown Jr., so you've got some nice picks, but you know I find it really interesting that some of these mid picks, like Keith was just talking about, the 11, 12, 15, they're in the top 10 of spending per pick since 2011. Is that because by pick five, kind of as you alluded to this year, Keith, teams are willing to reach? Yeah, I think there is something to that. I, I think when you're in the late lottery too, that tends to be – a lot of times in that range where teams have a second pick. Mm. So it becomes almost that that's your home run swing. We took the short thing or what we thought was the short thing with our first pick. Now we can, can, can uh, swing for the fences. And when you do that, a lot of times those pay off uh, for, for teams. And sometimes those are teams too, that they're, they're a little bit better. So they don't necessarily need uh, something so they can kind of take the upside player. And if those upside guys hit, they're huge. It, it's kind of funny, Scott. It does not surprise me at all that number two is um, lower on the list for career earnings. Because if you go back through the history of the NBA draft and you really want to, you know, find a factory of sadness, it's the number two pick <laughs> historically <laughs> has not been good. It, it really is, you know, crazy. Um, As you go through it, though, those number two picks just generally – even if they're good, they're not as good as the other guys in their draft class. Um, they fall woefully short. And a lot of times it's straight bad. Um, I, I want to say the all-star selections for the number two pick are far lower than, than um, anywhere else in the top, I think, five, um, which is you know just kind of bonkers. But, yeah, if you look at it, it's it, if you ever scroll through, just kind of – I know you can do it on basketball reference um, and just pop through each year's draft results – uh, you start looking at those number two picks and you're like, oh man, it's you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Derek Williams, uh, Evan Turner. <laughs> yeah, it is like, oh boy, I can all of a sudden see Hashim Thabit. You know, well, why this is uh, not, not so good. And then when you look at some of the names, even three, four, and five directly behind them, you're like, oh man, that team blew it. I think I needed to name this show Factor yeah. of Sadness. That's the greatest thing I've heard all day. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you made a great point with that because when I look at the career earnings, Pick number one is $664 million since 2011. Pick three, $612 million. And pick two goes down to $472 million. And pick four is at $474. So you're right. Pick one and three are almost slam dunks. And then two and four, massive drop off. That's fascinating. 150 to $200 million difference. Fascinating. So sorry, Houston Rockets. Get get on. Trade out, Houston. Trade out. All right, guys, good stuff. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. He is pumping us off-season financial previews really on the hour at this point. That piece is almost together. It's huge. It's a monster. It's a great read. I'll continue to tweet that out as well. Keith, thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
All right, my thanks to Keith and to Scott. And of course, to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off. Visit morganstanley.com slash GSE. Get yourself a draft financial solution today. And of course, balancedbridge.com. If you're looking to secure earnings, secure your guarantees. If you're a free agent looking to lock in a new deal, get yourself on the right path financially with balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. 